2: Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Kate Wolfe in San Francisco. In the wake of Tuesday's mass murder at a Texas elementary school, Governor Gavin Newsom and state legislative leaders are calling for fast action aimed at reducing gun violence. KQED Politics editor Scott Schaefer has more.
0: Standing besides legislative leaders, Newsom began his remarks with an admission. There's no words that I can add
3: that would add any insight or empathy or, frankly, any deeper understanding
0: of the world we're living in. The governor didn't announce any executive actions or immediate steps to curtail the kind of violence we saw this week in Texas. Instead, he called on lawmakers to fast-track more than a dozen bills now in the legislature to his desk as quickly as possible.
3: We're here resolved, focused, energetically on moving uh, well over a dozen bills forward, getting them to my desk where I will enthusiastically be signing the bills by the end of next month.
0: Newsom hopes some of the bills will include urgency clauses, which will enable them to take effect immediately rather than next year. That includes a bill to give private citizens the right to sue makers and sellers of so-called ghost guns, which are unregistered and hard to trace. Senate President Pro Tem Tony Atkins from San Diego said the status quo, constantly grieving the loss of lives from gun violence, was unacceptable.
4: Unless we take action and political leaders take real responsibility, we will continue to grieve and mourn.
0: The governor called out what he described as extremist judges appointed by President Trump who have struck down California laws, including one preventing anyone under the age of 21 from buying a semi-automatic weapon.
3: These are extremists. That's the world we're living in right now.
0: Wake up, folks. Read these opinions. Pay attention to what's going on. Newsom said California has an obligation to act until the U.S. Senate decides to vote on meaningful gun control legislation. And until that moment, we're not going to give up or give in to that cynicism. We're not going to roll over and accept the status quo. That's the best we can do under the current circumstances. For the California Report, I'm Scott Schaefer in San Francisco.
2: California's two senators are calling on their colleagues in Washington to act quickly on gun control legislation in light of this week's tragic mass shooting at an elementary school in Texas. Senator Dianne Feinstein is urging Republicans to pass her bill that would raise the age to be able to purchase an assault weapon from 18 to 21. Feinstein authored the country's previous assault weapons ban, which was approved in 1994. She says in the decade it was in place, gun massacres dropped 37%. After
5: the ban lapsed in 2004, gun massacres rose by 183%. There is simply no reason that average citizens need weapons of war
1: to go about their daily life.
2: That was Feinstein speaking yesterday at a Senate Judiciary hearing for President Biden's nominee to serve as the director of the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. Speaking at that same hearing, Senator Alex Padilla, who has three school-aged children, said no other developed country has to deal with this kind of gun violence.
3: Now, some folks suggest that uh, arming teachers or providing more armed presence on school campuses will make them safer. If more guns were the answer, the United States would be the safest nation in the world. But it's not the case.
2: Last year, the House passed gun control legislation, including a bill that would require anyone purchasing a gun to go through a background check. The bills have been blocked in the Senate by Republicans. Vigils were held across the country last night, including here in California, for the victims of the deadly massacre in Uvalde, Texas. One event was held in Foster City in the Bay Area and another in San Diego. Here's what a few of those attending had to say. This is scary. I have lockdown drills with my kids. We practice what to do if someone comes into our building. It's not fair for them. They're just babies. So many moms, including me,
1: were feeling that to be able to be close to their children, to be able to hug their children, and to be able to have their children alive is a privilege, is not right. We, the moms and the parents
2: across this country care about you, our students. I want our country to be better and I hope that someday we won't
3: be worried that someday this will happen to our own loved ones.
2: That was Melissa Hammond, a preschool teacher, speaking with CBS 8 in San Diego, Foster City Mayor Richa Owasti, parent Julie Bronstein, speaking with CBS 8 in San Diego, and Mahati Vandianathan, a sixth-grade student in Foster City, speaking with NBC Bay Area.
0: To sign up now. That's Podcast with an S. Thanks.
2: California's Commission on Post, which stands for Peace Officer Standards and Training, has reached a key milestone in its implementation of the new police decertification law, Senate Bill 2. KQED's Suki Lewis reports the Commission has approved a definition of what constitutes misconduct serious enough to revoke an officer's badge. For months, the commission has been hammering out this definition
4: that'll be the cornerstone of what agencies will have to start considering in January when they'll be required to report all allegations or complaints that meet the criteria. Serious misconduct is an act or acts or omission or omissions demonstrating a lack of fitness to serve as a peace officer in the state of California That's Commission Chair and Santa Barbara D.A. Joyce Dudley. Serious misconduct includes, but is not limited to the following. The Commission fleshed out nine characteristics of serious misconduct that are outlined in the law. Dishonesty, abuse of power, physical abuse, sexual assault, demonstrating bias, acts that violate the law and are sufficiently egregious, participation in a law enforcement gang, failure to cooperate with an investigation, or failure to intercede if they see another officer use unnecessary force. Jackie Nelson, the bureau chief in charge of implementing decertification, says no one knows exactly how many complaints will meet that definition. But based on complaint data that already exists, she estimates they'll review about 3,400.
5: We are keeping track of all of those complaints that are coming in. We're tracking things that we're seeing in the news already that we know that we're going to have to look at come January one. We'll probably get a head start on all those a little bit to to get our training wheels off, if you will.
4: Post Executive Director Manny Ramirez told the commission it's going to be difficult, but not impossible to meet the January deadline for full implementation.
0: Staffing will be a significant challenge for us.
4: In July, Post will start hiring for 127 positions, nearly doubling the size of the agency. The definition approved by the commission on Wednesday is now open for public comment. For the California Report, I'm Suki
2: Lewis. Governor Newsom's ambitious overhaul of California's mental health care system cleared a major hurdle yesterday evening. The state Senate voted to approve CARE Court. The program would allow judges to order people with schizophrenia or other psychotic disorders into treatment, with a particular focus on people who are also experiencing homelessness. But critics worry the state isn't set up to deliver the care and housing it's promising. KQED's Aaron Baldassari has more.
6: On a cold day in March, Shahada Hull walked up to Sutter Health's street care center in San Francisco and asked to be placed on an emergency psychiatric hold. I wasn't having any symptoms. I just was freezing to death. Hull had been sleeping outside in the city's Tenderloin neighborhood ever since she was evicted in December. She's been diagnosed with obsessive compulsive disorder, anxiety, PTSD, and depression. Sometimes she hears what doctors call intrusive thoughts that make it hard for her to think. But on that day, she just wanted to get off the street.
1: I'm praying, praying to God,
6: like, please just let them help me today. After a week in the psychiatric ward, the nurses told her it was time to leave. A social worker gave her a piece of paper. On it was a list of shelters.
1: They were going to kick me back out into the street. Like, really? You can clearly see that I'm not really in the right state of mind right now.
6: Hull is 30. And throughout her life, she's had around 160 mental health episodes. At 13 months old, she was placed in foster care. And she's been in the system ever since, cycling in and out of homelessness, the courts, and county mental health services. In many ways, she's exactly who Governor Gavin Newsom had in mind when he proposed care court.
3: They're on their meds. All of a sudden, they're starting to do a little bit better. But there's no place to put them. There's no pathway after that. And they end up right back on the street.
6: Under care court a judge would oversee Hall's mental health treatment. She'd have a public defender and an advocate to help her make decisions. Treatment plans could last up to two years, and people could face conservatorship if they refused to participate. But critics say the problem with California's mental health system isn't a lack of oversight. We neither have beds, staffing, nor resources today to absorb the added care court population. Michelle Dottie Cabrera is the executive director of the County Behavioral Health Directors Association of California. The state faces a massive shortage of both psychiatric beds and behavioral health care workers. But Dottie Cabrera says one of the biggest challenges is housing. We've got 8,000 plus people a year who we bring into services who we can't house today. Care Court is expected to add seven to 12,000 more people to the county's caseload. The issue is whether or not. We can find people who are unhoused who are wanting treatment. It's about do we have the housing resources that is appropriate and open and available? Last year, the legislature committed more than $2 billion for housing for people with behavioral health needs. Newsom's administration is proposing another $1.5 billion this year for short-term housing and services but it'll take time to build up that capacity. Health and Human Services Secretary Dr. Mark Galley says in the meantime,
0: The state is saying we need to see this population prioritized.
6: Too often, Galley says people with severe mental illness only get treatment after ending up in jail or after reaching a state where they can no longer take care of themselves. He says care court would move people to the front of the line.
0: So that they can get the care so that we can uh, both with a great deal of integrity, humanity and focus on what works, address the needs of this population.
6: After Shahada Hull admitted herself to the hospital, it took about a month to get into treatment. But the program she's in is only temporary and there's no guaranteed housing when it ends in July. Hull has spent years trying to get the treatment and housing she needs. At the end of the day, the government has this and they have that. But it's really up to you to fight for that and get that. She's skeptical CARE Court would make that fight any easier. But if it could, she'd welcome the change. The fight shouldn't be this hard. The CARE Court legislation now heads to the State Assembly for a vote. For the California Report, I'm Erin
2: Baldessari. An update to a story we told you about earlier this week, the Anaheim City Council has voted to cancel the troubled Angels Stadium sale deal. KPCC's Jackie Fortier reports. Cheers erupted in the audience as city council member Jose Moreno called for the city to void the $325 million sale of Angel Stadium and adjoining property to team owner Artie Moreno.
3: The minimum that we can do tonight is withdraw from the deal because this deal is the fruit of a poison tree. Thank you, colleagues.
2: Angels owner Artie Moreno has called to finalize the deal by June 14th despite an ongoing FBI corruption investigation involving Anaheim's former mayor. Harry Sidhu, who had been leading negotiations for the sale, resigned from his post on Monday. The remaining six members of the city council voted unanimously to void the deal. For the California Report, I'm Jackie Fortier in Los Angeles. A KPCC investigation has found the California Corrections Department moved people known as medical parolees to a nursing home in Los Angeles that was recently stripped of its federal certification. As KPCC's LEU reports in the second part of this series, the move and the decision behind it have been shrouded in secrecy. Jonas Peacock was in bed
5: when he woke up to commotion. He lived at the nursing home in Sacramento for two years on medical parole after a spinal infection left him paralyzed. Now at four in the morning, nurses were tossing his things into bins.
1: He threw a pair of sweatpants on me, a t-shirt, my shoes put the sling on me so they could put me in the gurney
5: emts loaded him into an ambulance but he didn't know where he was going about 10 hours later peacock arrived at golden legacy care center a nursing home in the san fernando valley
3: i was frustrated it was sad depressing because i'm so used to being across my family
5: other medical parolees and family members we spoke to said there was no warning about the move. Pate Pesalium tried to visit his brother Jackson in a Sacramento nursing home in January, but...
6: They told me that he wasn't there, and they didn't say nothing. They never called me or nothing about it.
5: He says it took him about a month to find Jackson, who was nonverbal. Pesalium used to visit his brother almost every week, playing dominoes and listening to music. But Golden Legacy is too far.
6: I can't go try to go see him. It's harder. I'm like, I'm from Stockton, and that's like about five hours away.
5: The State Corrections Department has moved more than 50 medical parole patients to Golden Legacy since January. That's right after the federal government decided to pull its funding from the facility for patient care violations. Under federal rules, all nursing home residents have the same rights, like not being restrained or having access to visitors of their choice and cell phones. But the state says restrictions are necessary to keep the public safe. So the agency sent medical parole patients from regular nursing homes to Golden Legacy, which it says is now able to enforce the rules the feds don't allow.
3: All of these people in this program have to go to one place in Los Angeles, which is no longer a viable place for people with long-term conditions to be. That's uh, an insult to All of our hard work.
5: That's former state senator Mark Leno. He wrote the bill that created the medical parole program in 2011. He was troubled when we told him about the recent changes.
3: It is counter to the motivations for our bill, which was to return people closer to their communities and to their families in their last months of life, not to ship them off to a substandard care facility.
5: Leno says the other motivation of the program was to save the state money. But California won't tell us how much it spends to house medical parole patients at Golden Legacy. The agency cited a state law that keeps details about corrections contracts for health care secret for up to four years. Meanwhile, many medical parole patients at the nursing home say they're worried. We spoke to nine of them. Jonas Peacock says he's made complaints to the state four times since being there. Uh, the
3: first time because... My third time being left sitting in feces and urine for hours. I mean, like three or four hours.
5: He says he made another complaint when he woke up in excruciating pain, but says staff refused to take him to the hospital. Golden Legacy did not return repeated requests for comment. Vicki Waters, a spokesperson for the corrections department, said the agency didn't have enough specifics to respond to claims about patients' care. In a statement, she says the agency cares for the health and well-being of people under their supervision wherever they're housed. But up in the Bay Area, Peacock's mom, Donna Maxwell, doesn't believe that.
3: My son is in a diaper, you know, and my son is in a wheelchair, and my son can't take care of himself. And even
6: though they're prisoners, they steal still patients, and they're still people.
5: Now she's about six hours away. She can no longer visit regularly. Her son's life is in the hands of the state. And she says they need to provide the care they promise. For The California Report, I'm Ellie Yu.
2: This story was co-reported with KPCC's Erin Mendelson. You can read their full investigation at laist.com. And that's the California Report for Thursday, May 26th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Kate Wolf. Thanks for listening.
0: Support for the California Report comes from Stanford HealthCare. Alerting listeners to the critical blood shortage in the area, now is the time to donate blood and make a difference. StanfordBloodCenter.org Hint. Fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry. No sweeteners, no calories, in stores or delivered from drinkhint.com. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org. Hey
1: there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. Hey QED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more –